with the series of power don't and um, I had something different for today uh, but I read something last week that really challenged me we thought that I thought I wonder if I should just share this we thought and it's simply uh, don't live with guilt and don't live in shame you know shame is one of the most destructive forces on this earth it's destructive because it affects every aspect of our lives it is something that has plagued us since the beginning with Adam and Eve. He bit into the fruit. They realized they were both naked. Their first instinct was to hide from each other and from God. They now stood guilty before God and covered in shame. They were vulnerable uh, to both themselves, to each other, and also to God. And so shame is one of those incredibly destructive forces. Not that we can feel shame, not just by stuff that we've done, but even possibly stuff that has been done to us that is no fault of ours. But we feel ashamed. We feel that shame. And these words that David writes in Psalm 25, uh, hopefully this word today will, will give people some encouragement. And, and, and as we move towards the end, we will see that, you know, really who has the power over our shame and our guilt and, and, and what Jesus has done with it. And David writes these words. He says, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust. I trust in you, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Guard my life and rescue me. Do not let me be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope, Lord, is in you. Sometimes, unlike guilt, shame can come from actions that aren't even wrong in a sense, that we can live with shame, that maybe we've experienced shame for all sorts of reasons. Maybe it's a childhood memory, maybe something happened to you when you were younger. Maybe you were at school one day and you were humiliated in front of the class uh, by the teacher. Teachers wouldn't get on like that now, but you know, back in the day, maybe because you got an answer wrong and stuff. I remember being at Bible college and 1994 and I'd only been saved for about 18 months and I was reading the good news bible and they'd asked me to read out in the lecture uh, and so I read the verses out and the lecturer stopped me and said what version of the bible are you reading from and I said I'm reading from the good news bible and in front of the other 60 students in the class he sort of said to me, I don't think that is a suitable version for a serious theological student. And I felt humiliated, embarrassed. Then I realized I'm not really a serious theological student. But I says at that point, I felt that. And you have those things. And often at times we can feel embarrassed or humiliated. And they're not the same as shame. I mean, how many of us have been embarrassed by somebody? You know when you're walking down the street and somebody waves? You think they're waving at you and you wave back and they're waving at the person behind you. You sort of, like, you know. That's what they do and stuff. I was thinking of another story to do with being embarrassment and this happened quite recently and, and only a couple of people noticed. But now I'm going to tell you all. Anyway, just so I'm in the same boat as you, so we all know. So I went along to, uh, it's happened at Bible College again, so I don't know where Bible College was teaching us, but it was earlier this year, and Elizabeth Totten was graduating 
from how women in Bible studies think at Belfast Bible College. It's about 11 women graduate, and I went over that night, there was about 40 people in the room, and so I took my seat and things like that, and I listened. And sometimes, those who know me, my hearing is not the greatest. I sometimes hear things, but it's not what people have said, if that makes sense. I sort of hear it, and I'm like, so I thought what the principal said at the front was, let's stand and give all these ladies a round of applause. Uh, what, sorry, that he said that, but what I thought he said was, let's all stand and give these ladies a round of applause. But he only wanted the ladies to stand. So, of course, all the ladies stood, and I stood as well. <laughs> and I graduated from the Women's Bible Studies course at Belfast Bible College I didn't even study for. And, of course, I'm sitting next to Michael Totten's son, who's looking at me, thinking, why have you stood? And I'm like, and then I suddenly realised I'm the only man standing. And, uh, and of course, I was embarrassed. But I didn't feel any shame. I just thought, that's a thought of thing I do. But, you know, but shame itself is a powerful, painful emotion. It's birthed sometimes from a negative self-evaluation where we think sometimes we're just not good enough. We're just not like the person next to us. We can't do what they do. We've fallen short of some standard. And we've done so under the watchful gaze of others. You ask people to do things maybe and it would put the fear of God into some people if you said to them, would you come and stand here in front of the church and, and share something? And, and most of the time, 85% of people, oh no, I couldn't stand up there. I'd be too embarrassed. I would be too shameful. Listen, I would say to them, listen, it improves your prayer life, if nothing else, because that's what you do. And, uh, and, but that's why people feel that. It's, and shame is different from guilt. In that sometimes we can think it's guilt or, and, and, and shame, and sometimes we think it's the other way around. Uh, and shame is different. Is, uh, guilt is often connected with our actions. But shame is connected to our identity. And further, a lot of Christians are taught how to deal with their guilt, but not necessarily the shame. Uh, and, you know, that we look at it sometimes, and it's like this. And somebody said this, and really this was a thought that, that I got, and this hopefully will help us. You say, guilt says I made a mistake, but shame says I am a mistake. Guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am something wrong. And so though we want to deal with both guilt and shame, that's the reason why, in a sense, because we look at it and where the issue today, if we said what is the main issue in the world that we live in today, it's identity, isn't it? It's identity with people, with young people growing up and, and that, who they identify as. A boy, we're in a battlefield with our whole area because where we can identify as male, where we identify as male and female, People just don't do that anymore. And, and the confusion uh, and everything that that is causing. Uh, and it's made me realise when we come to this that we're looking at, that part of the problem is, is our identity is connected with, with who we are. We're, we're too busy trying to discover who we are. Yet, yet God wants us to discover whose we are. And that's more important than, than anything, that, that we belong to him. And that we thought there just says, you know, that's a difference. So guilt can be constructive. 
You know, Steve, we read from, from John uh, at the table, and, and as Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit comes and will convict the world of, of sin and righteousness and judgment. You know, often we're convicted by the Holy Spirit. We feel guilty about something that we've said or something that we've done, something we shouldn't have done. And so guilt is a constructive thing in a sense, and it brings us uh, to the place where actually we look at it and say, this is not good for me, it's not good for my life but shame never does that shame keeps us in a lonely place thinking we're not worth anything it keeps us in that place downtrodden in a sense where we feel we have nothing to offer anybody and David is facing this here in Psalm 25 what's the context of the psalm he's lonely he's isolated he's cut off from human companions he's afflicted he's in distress the troubles of his heart are getting bigger and bigger. This affliction and this trouble includes his own sins and his own enemies who hate him with a violent hatred. And this is a sense where David is. He's stuck and surrounded. But he prays his prayer in Psalm 25 about trusting in God. Do not let me be put to shame. And all of these Psalms are clustered around David's exile from Israel as he ran from Saul. David was not necessarily on the run because he'd sinned against God or done anything wrong. But it was the shame of a man being falsely accused by Saul. And he was desperately on the run here and he weighed heavily on his heart. And that's why he felt ashamed. Because often sometimes we feel ashamed because the question comes, he says, what will other people think of me? Uh, and maybe it's because something that's happened to us because it's not our fault. Maybe it's a consequence of a circumstance in our life. And there could be many reasons for it. And we look at it sometimes says, what will other people think of me? Uh, and that brings the shame onto it. And that brings the shame into the situation. And David understands that there. And we relate to it today. And as David declared his trust in God, he, he seemed in a sense to speak to himself. Uh, the, the, the more to himself in a sense and God he assured himself of not only his trust in the Lord but actually the reward of that trust God if I trust in you don't, don't let me be put to shame don't let my enemies see the conviction and the trust that I have in you don't let me be put to shame in front of them and this gives us some context to the psalm. It was written from a time of trouble. David is in trouble. I mean, there are all things in all of our lives that we do never want to talk about. We never want to let other people know that, that we did this or we were part of this and stuff because it would bring a sense of shame, wouldn't it? It just would. Because it's our human nature, it's our human life. The time, you know, for us, maybe we were responsible, we lost our temper, or we said something we shouldn't have said, or we did something we shouldn't have done. Everybody carries that with them on that side. Uh, and yet David has got that. He says, I put my trust in you. I wait for you. And even though David is in these present difficulties, he, he endured this, it would not prevent him from trusting and serving God we never want people to think bad of us I know people sometimes turn around and, oh, I don't care what other people think of me and that's a, the bravery the courageous the reality is we do we do care what other people think of us 
Uh, it matters what people think of us. We want people to think well of us. We want people to think of us. And so we feel a sense of shame there if we let people down in some way because we want them to think well of us. We don't want them to be disappointed. And here David is in that place because he's got this deep relationship with God. And in twice in the psalm and the verses we said it was God I put my trust in you, don't let me be put to shame. God you are my refuge, don't let me be ashamed. Uh, and, and you can see his heart here. He's not writing maybe like I would write or someone else says, I don't care what other people think. If they think like that of me, that's okay. David's not doing that. He's declaring his trust and his faith in God. As he waits on God, it's uh, not this passive idea of doing nothing. It's actually this idea of serving, of keep going. It's, it's like the idea is of a waiting room, of you're waiting for something to happen. We never sit in a waiting room without an expectation that, you, that you're going to be the next name called. You know, if you go to the airport and you're waiting, you're waiting for your plane to be called, the gate to open. That's what a waiting room does. Nobody sits in a waiting room just to wait. If you go to the doctors and, and you're sitting there, you're waiting for the name to come up with the time. And because that's the answer to your waiting. And that's the idea here that eventually the waiting is going to come to the end and God is going to answer his prayer. And, and David had prayed this, this great prayer in verse 7. That I just sum up, which helps us. He says, remember me, but not my sin. Isn't that a wonderful thought, what God does with us in our lives? Remember me, but not my sin. Uh, and he, he says to him, he said, listen, don't remember the transgressions of my youth. Don't remember the things I did that were, were daft and wrong and stupid, the mistakes I made, the failures I did. Remember me. And he prays his great prayer there. Remember me, but not my sin. We're not thankful this morning. God doesn't remember our sin. He, he doesn't remember all the things we've done wrong. I mean, none of us could stand. None of us could stand. I mean, there's a reason the devil is called the great accuser, because he accuses us of all the things that we have done wrong. He says, Jesus Christ doesn't do that. God, in the answer to his prayer, remember me, but not my sin. And David includes himself here, that he wants to be there. This idea of just coming and surrendering to God, regardless of what's going on around, regardless of what everybody else is saying, Regardless of how much people are trying to ruin you or, or talk bad about your situation or your circumstance uh, and that David's trust, his faith is simply in God. But how do we deal with this weight of shame then? Because it's an issue. Uh, because many of us know we know how to deal with sin. We've come this morning and we've taken the, the, the bread and the juice and we've remembered that Jesus Christ went to the cross for us to deal with our sin. Uh, and, and we would say that he's taken away our guilt, but often people still live with the shame uh, of what they've done, almost like we want to punish ourselves as well, that it's just not enough. And, and yet Jesus did not just bear our sin on the cross. He did just not bear our guilt upon the cross. He bore our shame as well, because he bore his own shame that was our shame as well. We see that he did it in four ways, and, and he's the example for us today. What happened to Jesus, as we know, was taken in front of the most powerful body in Judaism, the Sanhedrin. 
And they brought up false witnesses on false accusations to make false charges against him. Imagine the shame that he felt as he stood there. We see that there was a social shame as well for Jesus. That Pilate encouraged the crowds to release Jesus. But what did the, the leaders do when they went around the crowd? When it was a choice between Barabbas and Jesus and Barabbas was the murderer. Release Barabbas. So even in the eyes of other people in the crowd, there was not just the religious shame, but the social shame for Jesus that was there as well. And, and we see that he was then taken uh, and given the crown that was forced down upon his head with the long thorns and stuff. The soldiers flogged him. You could see the shame as this was happening to him publicly. That's why he relates to our shame. And then we see that there is a relational one as well. Everybody just abandoned him. Everybody left him. One of his disciples, Judas, betrayed him. Peter denied him. And you could see there was that shame there when it comes to the cross. Only John and his mother were there just to see him upon the cross. Everybody else had deserted. When we say to ourselves that sometimes that Jesus has no idea, I think he has a pretty good idea. I think he knows what it is we go through and we carry because we see it here in his story so we see also the fourth thing is the physical that unlike most of us you know we, we see all this idea that Jesus is stripped naked on the cross his clothes gambled for money and there we see all this shame that is piled upon him here in that sense of he comes to the cross and, and the only place that we can go both with our sin and our guilt and our shame is simply the cross because Jesus knows he knows the stuff that has happened to us that's not our fault the things that people have said that are simply untrue those circumstances and situations that we have found incredibly difficult and think to myself I'm ashamed and I wouldn't want people to find out those are all the things Jesus took upon the cross with him it's the only place to go I read this and I thought, how appropriate. The key to breaking the power of pride-fueled shame is the superior power of humility-fueled faith in the work of Christ and the promises of Christ. Shame pronounces us guilty and deficient. Jesus pronounces us guiltless and sufficient through his grace. That's what he's done for me and you. That's why he understands what it is for us that we don't need to live in guilt and we don't need to live with shame. Romans 8 verse 1 and Paul has an understanding of this when he simply says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is a condition to having no condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus, that simple declaration of no condemnation comes to those who are in Christ Jesus, who belong to Christ Jesus. That's us. That's us today, isn't it? That's us. No condemnation. God the Father did not condemn Jesus, neither can the Father condemn us simply because we are in Jesus. God doesn't look at me and think, He's a good fella. He's a decent fella. He says he doesn't do too many things wrong. He says he doesn't look at me uh, as of just for me. He looks at me through the eyes of his son. 
And that's what, that, that's what makes me in Christ Jesus. That's what gives me the no condemnation. Uh, and that's where we are, church, this morning. But because I, 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 this word has weighed heavy on my heart from, from Tuesday when I read it because I thought sometimes you've just got to say to people with the guilt and the shame that they're carrying about with them, you've got to lay it to the side because Jesus is the one that took it upon the cross with him. He says, this is the way that some of us live. This is what we do, and I've done this. It doesn't say there's less condemnation. That's the way we view it sometimes. We view it as though there is a little less condemnation. I, I've just made it in. You know, I'm not as holy as the other people. I won't get right up to the front of the throne room and stuff, but I've just got in. Well, we were on a cruise recently, and you know how I love my cruises, and you get into the lift, and lifts are a nightmare because, you know, they're, they're always packed. But that doesn't bother me, I'm getting in, you know. And you know what happened? You look and you see a wee tidy space, and you would never associate tidy space with me. But there's a wee tiny space in the lift, and I'm getting in it. And the way I looked at it was I stood in there, and sometimes a lift door wouldn't close. It kept hitting, and I'm like, I wish some of you would move up like, but anyway, you did. And it made me think often of how we are as believers sometimes. We look at it and think we've just made it in. If we breathe in a bit, then we're in. You know, it's a little less condemnation. Yet Jesus didn't come just to give us less condemnation. Just that we would carry the baggage of our guilt and shame because it was something that we did wrong. He took all of it upon the cross. All of it is everything. All of it is everything that has happened, everything that's been said, everything that's been done. He took it upon the cross because our human nature is, oh, we've got to punish ourselves a little bit. We've got to make it hard upon ourselves because we don't deserve what God has done for us. You are right, we don't. We don't deserve what God has done for us. That's the heart of the gospel. We take our baggage and we transfer the baggage of our guilt and our shame and the condemnation that we feel in the human side of it and we transfer it to Christ Jesus on the cross who took it all for you and for me. You see, what happens is this, our, our standing has not been improved in Christ. We don't get a little less condemned because our standing has been improved. Our lives have been transformed. We've been changed from one person into another person by the transforming power of Jesus Christ who gives us not a little less condemnation but no condemnation we are not condemned today you see we've been transformed Romans 8 is a wonderful chapter in the Bible it opens with no condemnation it speaks all the way through until it draws to the end where it says there is no separation either and finally, it tells us there is no defeat. There is nothing that can defeat us. We are not condemned by our shame and our guilt. We are not separated because of our shame and our guilt. And our shame and our guilt does not defeat us in Christ Jesus. That's where we are today. That's where we are as a people today. That's the good news today. 
So we don't have to carry this baggage around with us all the way through and say, well, I can't do anything with this. Christ Jesus has already given it and done it. And so therefore we have to come and bring that to him. He says, I said at the beginning that this is the challenge for us. The world wants us to discover who we are. God wants us to discover whose we are. He looks at us today. Another question he asks sometimes is why are you carrying it? Why are you still walking around with it? Why are you walking through life with it? Why, why, why? And, and sometimes it's not as easy just to hand it over because sometimes it takes, takes we, we like to take things back, don't we? We, we? we hand it over and then, no, I'm not sure. We take it back, we give it over, we take it back. But God throws out a challenge to us today as we're here. He says, for us to know that there's no condemnation, no separation and no defeat. We come to the cross and we just simply say, Lord, I'm going to hand this over. I'm embarrassed about this. Lord, I'm embarrassed. It was, it was something I did that I'm ashamed of. He took it all. He took it all. Lord, I, you know, this is something that I, I need to try and deal with myself. And God said, no. He says, my son did that on the cross. And this is good news of the gospel for each and every one of us this morning. That he takes each and everything that we have done. And he took it on the cross everything you may think of a situation or a circumstance now and say yeah but Matt what about this listen he took it all he took it all and he took everything let's just let's just close your eyes to pray just for a second we're not in the business of putting people on the the spot here but we are in the business of allowing God to do a work in people's lives through his Holy Spirit we're not looking for hands. We're not looking for a, a response other than the response you have to have with God. And as we pray for every person in this place and for those who are carrying uh, that baggage, that they live with the shame of something that they think can never be dealt with, God simply says, hand it over to me. Give it to me. He says, you are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Whether it was your fault or whether it wasn't your fault, God says, hand it over. And you discover that because you are in Christ Jesus. You are a child of his today. And Father, we come today and for those, Father God, who are sitting struggling, those who think they can't hand it over, Lord, we ask you would move by your spirit today. Father, you are in the business of dealing with stuff in our lives that stop us becoming everything that you have called us to become. And Father, should that baggage of guilt or shame, what somebody has said or somebody has done, hold us back from that? Lord, we give it over to you now. And ask, Lord, would you deal with it? Would you sort it? We have the faith to believe like David. Lord, I, do, do, I, I trust in you. Do not let me put to shame. I take my refuge in you. Do not let me be put to shame. Uh, and that's the prayer today that we have. We trust in you. We trust in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.